Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. We are finally back. It is uh, Saturday, February 10th, uh, two days after the trade deadline, which was uh, eventful as always. So we're going to break down all the trades, winners and losers, talking about the craziness that the Cavs provided all our NBA fans on Thursday. We're finally back. It's been a, a nice lengthy break, but we're recovered. We've done some exciting things with the 94 Feet Report, launching our YouTube channel and, and, our, and our weekly show, The Swingmen. Um, so check that out and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Obviously, check out all of our great written content at 94feetreport.com and follow us at the 94 Feet Report on Twitter. Corbin, Corbin is back. Corbin, how are you doing today? Eric, it's, it's good to be back. I'm excited and, and, and ready to get on this. It, it feels like it's been forever, hasn't it? it, 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 it actually does and that's because the NBA has moved always moves so fast that you know if you're not doing a podcast for even one week you feel like you've missed like a month a month worth of things to talk about um, so we decided obviously that since the trade deadline happened two days ago why talk about things that happened two weeks ago that we missed let's talk about the trade deadline specifically and because there's a lot to talk about there's a lot of teams to talk about I think the team that everyone's talking about about the trade deadline are the Cleveland Cavaliers they made so many moves and you know it's unbelievable to see a team that, you know, coming into the season and even now at this point, a lot of people still project to either make the conference finals or potentially make the finals. A team that, with those lofty expectations and, and projections, you know, drastically altering their roster like this on one day is, is something that I've, you know, pretty much never seen before. Um, so let's break down the moves that they made. And, you know, they obviously made a bunch of moves, so we have to take this, you know, <laughs> one by one. Um, the first deal that was reported was their deal with the Lakers in which they took back Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance Jr. Um, and they traded Isaiah Thomas, Shannon Fry, and their own first round pick. Um, you know, my thoughts on this deal and, you know, when I, when I heard this deal, I was a little bit shocked, of course. I didn't expect the, the uh, Cavs to take back Clarkson or Nance. There was no rumors about them potentially being traded to the Cavs. Um, and at the point, you know, they traded their first round pick, and the Cavs' first round pick is probably going to be in the mid to early 20s. So it's, it's not a t- it's not like the pick where it's going to be 28, where you know, in the Cavs in the past, the Cavs are probably going to finish with like the fourth, maybe third seed in the East, and probably like the fifth or best record in the league. So that you know, that pick is not going to be like the 29th pick that they traded a couple years ago. It's going to be probably like 23, 24, 25. You know, the Lakers can do something with that pick, um, and then. I like Larry Nance. I think that getting Nance was probably the best part of this deal because he's cheap. Um, he can help right now and in the future. He's very athletic. He p- provides a lot of effort on both ends of the floor, something that this Cavs team desperately needs. My concern <laughs> with Larry Nance is, you know, can he protect the rim enough to play backup center, which, you know, while Kevin Love is out, I think that the Cavs would probably like for Nance to play backup center. I also think that if you play him at power forward with a guy like Tristan Thompson, there's just not enough shooting on the floor at once. So I think that... The goal or the idea is to play Nance at backup center at spots. Um, we can talk about this later, but potentially having him be, you know, a, a defensive stopper on the, on the perimeter is something that they're probably looking for, at least on, on a guy like Kevin Durant. There's a lot of factors about getting Larry Nance that I like, um, but also have questions about. And then you turn to this Clarkson, um, you know, getting Clarkson. Clarkson is is. I'm not a huge fan of Clarkson, and I think his contract is is a negative at this point. Um, you know he's he's paid 12.5 million next year and 13.4 the year after, and getting Clarkson in a vacuum, I guess is 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 a fine move for the Cavs. But when you add in the other moves that they made, which we'll get to in a bit, um, 
it, it makes the Clarkson addition more confusing, especially when they gave up the first-round pick. You know, a lot of people thought the Lakers would have to give up a first-round pick to get off of Clarkson's contract, but now the Cavs traded their first-round pick to the Lakers, and it's possible that they traded that first-round pick because they view Larry Nance as the real prize in this in this deal. Um, but still, taking on the Clarkson contract to me after the after the moves they made after this trade are, are a little bit confusing. But before we get to the other moves, I want to get your thoughts on this deal specifically, and obviously I know you follow the Lakers, so I think I want to get your thoughts on this deal from the Cavs side mostly, but also touching upon how you feel about this deal for the Lakers. Okay, for me, it's, it's weird because I was a big fan of the uh, Cleveland side. I thought they brought in new blood and they have a much better or much younger roster in this case that better suits James' skills. And I was looking at the sporting news and they were talking about the average age of the players Cleveland sent out was um, 30.6. So the average age of the new guys now is 26.5. And that bumps Cleveland's like total age from top in the league, I think it was 30 to 31, um, the average, to so about 27, which is about average in the NBA, which I thought was good on that level because you did have a, a variety of older players who seemed either inefficient, ineffective, or just unable to create their own shots without LeBron being on the offensive end. On the defensive end, it, it was it was just more rough. We, we already know why that happened. But I liked, I'm, as a Laker fan, it's, it's going to be kind of sad miss, um, seeing Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance leave because we, not we, the Lakers drafted Jordan Clarkson team. They got Nance on team. Jordan Clarkson, we kind of watched him grow up, you know? We drafted him late in the, in the um, we got him from the Wizards and as a second round pick. We drafted Nance late in the first round and our, you know, score and being that that electrifying guard, um, Nance made his mark with the defense, his hustle, you know, knowing how best to help the team, and of course, those amazing dunks. And, and you know, going, seeing him, we were just a bigger picture, um, having Isaiah Thomas and Channing Fry, you know, they can both pretty much contribute right now, even though our expectations are just kind of finish up the season, but more importantly, both expire contracts. So they come off the books at the end season, you know, that clears up that money for those two max spots, even with Luol Deng's contract hanging over our heads like Albatross. But, moving on, for Cleveland, I'm actually a lot more optimistic about Dorsey on the Cavs, only because I feel that he is going to play the Dwayne Wade spot as far as coming off the bench and, and kind of carrying that offense when LeBron's not there. Something that Isaiah Thomas, you know, while he was working through his injury, couldn't do. I think he'll do it more effectively. Um, obviously, he's 11 years younger than Wade, but also because he's a better shooter. And what we fail to realize, you know, he had a pretty, he's had a pretty strong season on this Lakers team. 700 been that second in the NBA after Lou Williams, and he's also averaging more points per game at 14.5 points than any other player who plays 25 or a few minutes a game. So, you know, of course, we talk about him being fish, you know, down, eh, you know, he he has some really good nights and and some not so good nights, but. In Cleveland, I don't see him playing so much with LeBron as much as being that kind of player that can carry the offense when LeBron isn't there as far as creation. Because they did lose a little bit of that in the trade. And bringing in um, Larry Nance, I think it would be great not only to have him. I would pair him more with Kevin Love. having Switch Love to center and have Nance pick up the better defensive matchup than I would with Tristan Thompson, because as you said, that would be an odd fit. And although Nance has something of a jumper, he seems really, really hesitant throughout the last two years shoot. So, I mean, we the verdict's out on that, really. But having him there and having um, Clarkson there, I think are going to be two key pieces, not only for now, probably Nance starting, I would think, 
as an undersized center, but also moving forward when Kevin Love gets back, those two will really be good support for the bench for Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm of the opinion for this trade specifically that Nance is the, is the better and the best piece for the Cavs in this trade. You know, Clarkson can provide some scoring punch in a vacuum. I still think he's low, he's going to be overpaid for the next two seasons. But, you know, Cavs team, I mean, if LeBron leaves, the Cavs team is probably going to be expensive for a team that's not going to be good. If you have LeBron, you want to spend money to obviously have the best team there. But... And from a Lakers perspective, I agree. I think the Lakers are one of, if not the biggest winners of the day. Um, sure, they lose Clarkson and Nance, but they get expiring contracts in Thomas and Fry. Fry had a good, you know, uh, locker room presence. Thomas, not so much, which I'll get to in a, in a second. Um, <laughs> but that first round pick, I said, you know, you can hit on a play. I mean, they drafted uh, Kyle Kuzma was at twenty seventh or twenty eighth in the draft this past season. They can hit on this on this Cavs first round pick. Um, and they got off the Clarkson contract and they got off salaries for next season, which is what they want to do. And now with a little bit more adjusting and shuffling, they can pretty pretty much easily create two max slots, which is huge when you go into free agency and you meet with a star. You say, hey, we have the ability to sign you and another star and you can join our guys. You know, they still have Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Kuzma, Josh Hart. We'll see what else they do after that. You know, having the... Knowing that you can attract and be able to sign two stars is huge when you're actually pitching to to one of those stars. Like if you only had you know cap space for one star, you said, "Hey, we can sign you, and we can do four more trades to get cap space for another star." Well, now they can basically say, "Hey, we can sign you, and we can we already have the space, or we need to make one move to sign another star, pair you guys together with our young, interesting core in LA." That's a pretty that's a much better pitch than before this trade deadline when they got off these contracts. For the Cavs, I think part of it is getting Nance. Part of it is getting rid of Isaiah Thomas, who, I mean, all the reports were that the locker room was an issue. Thomas especially was one of the really big issues in the locker room. Getting him out of the team, just, you know, you had to get rid of him. And, you know, we don't know if Isaiah Thomas will ever reclaim what he was last season. It's incredible that he finished top five in MVP MVP voting last season. And now this season, he's basically traded away um, just to kind of fill, you know, salaries and get rid of him. That's how how much he's fallen. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if he can regain his, you know, level from last season he'll be coming off the bench for the lakers which again probably damages his ego so we'll see if he's an issue in that locker room we'll see what we'll see what kind of contract he can get in the summer because he had that famous quote where the he basically said the celtics have to bring out the uh brinks trucks for him and um obviously that that didn't happen and it's not going to happen um because of his level of play and his issues in the locker room you know turning to the other trade that the Cavs made um, because I think it's perhaps even more interesting and it makes their whole day interesting in, in a larger perspective is that three-team deal with the Jazz and King. So the Cavs traded Jay Crowder and Derrick Rose to the Jazz. The Jazz traded Rodney Hood to the Cavs and Joe Johnson to the Kings. All right, hold on with me. Bear with me. And the Cavs, say, stay with <laughs> and the Cavs sent Iman Shumper and a 2020 second round pick to the Kings, and the Kings sent George Hill to the Cavs. So in, from the Cavs' perspective, they acquired Rodney Hood and George Hill for Shumpert, a second-round pick, Jay Crowder, and Derrick Rose. Now, I think that this is – I like this deal a lot for the Cavs. I think the only thing I don't like a little bit is that they sold low on Jay Crowder. They're pretty much banking on Crowder never re- – I mean, Crowder's had a down season, but if Crowder re- were to regain his form from last season with the Celtics, maybe he can do that in Utah with a more ball movement system. Quinn Snyder kind of plays a little bit more and coaches a little bit more similar to Brad Stevens. Maybe that can get Crowder back to last year's level. And if so, I think they sold low on Crowder here. Um, 
but I do like this deal because I'm a big fan of George Hill. Um, you know, I think his fit in Cleveland is perfect, and people like to talk about Hill having a down season, and yes, that's true, but one, he's been kind of... He's had a nagging injury, you know. He hasn't missed games because of the the foot or toe injury this season, but he's been he's been nagging for a, for a while and has not had the surgery on it. But he's still hitting forty five percent of his threes, which is best in the league. And when he's locked in and healthy, which hopefully he will be in a Cleveland team that's looking to contend, he's a very capable defender at the point guard spot. Much much better than Isaiah Thomas or Derrick Rose or Jose Calderon. So it's an upgrade there, and he can play off the ball, which is something they need next to LeBron. And then Rodney Hood, I think, is, is a nice wing. He's a capable ball handler and, and shooter. I think at this point, he's a slightly overrated defender. You know, people thought because he has a, a long wingspan, he's very lanky. He can kind of be a good disruptor on defense, but he, he really hasn't been so far. Maybe it's an effort thing. And, you know, I'm not sure maybe LeBron can get him to buy in a little bit more on that end, but I think at this point, he's a little bit, he's slightly overrated as a defender, but still better than the, most of the options they already had. But with Hood, you know, what will it cost to keep him this summer, restricted free agent? There's not much money out there. Um, you know, the Cavs might be expensive, and obviously we have to see what LeBron does. Um, but, you know, keeping him at, at a decent price is a possibility, and I think he's a nice wing. I think he's 24 or 25. So, you know, again, making that, that roster younger is, is a key piece of this deal because they got players that can help now, but they also got some young pieces that can be there if and potentially when LeBron leaves this summer. So I think it's a nice move from, from both perspectives. You know, I, I mentioned before about losing you know, losing Crowder, who guards KD now in a potential finals matchup, which is, of course, still what the Cavs think about. Yes. Obviously, they know they have to get by the Celtics or Raptors to get to the finals, but I think that in the organization, they still view the main uh, opponent as the as the Warriors. Who guards KD now? It, you know, do you want to put LeBron on him? Obviously, LeBron's probably the best suited for him, but then he, he has to exert so, many effort, so much effort on offense that, I mean, on defense, that is, does he have enough to carry this team offensively? I mentioned before, do the Cavs think that Larry Nance could be that guy? I, I don't think so at this point. Maybe he can grow into that, but I would not want to rely on Larry Nance to be a primary KD defender in the finals. I also wouldn't want to rely on Jeff Green to do it. I, mean, I was about to say that. Physically, yeah. physically, those players match up with Durant, but I just don't think they have the defensive ability and instincts to match up with Durant better than, than, better than Crowder does or LeBron. So I think that there's an, a, con, a concern there defensively in terms of guarding KD, um, but obviously that's a little bit more down the road. I think getting Hood and Hill are both players fit. I like that they're both who can help now and Hood can help in the future. But again, it makes it a little bit more confusing adding Clarkson and you know, Clarkson's salary when you add Hill and Hood on the same day and you still have J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver there and, you know, Calderon can play a couple minutes here or there. And, again, my final point on this is, you know, they got up the Schumper contract, which is great because he has a play option for next year. I think it's for $11 million, and he's pretty much been out of the rotation. But they did add Clarkson, who I mentioned, $12.5 million next season, 13.4 the season after, and George Hill, who's making $19 million next season. So this team is, is actually more expensive next season. And if LeBron leaves, do they want to pay all that money to have a team that's mediocre? You know, we'll have to see. I think that these are moves that help keep Le- help entice LeBron to stay now, but also potentially set them up in some form with Lance and Hood and maybe Clarkson for a future without LeBron, and we'll see what they can do if and when he leaves. So what were your thoughts on that three-team deal for the Cavs, and, and then overall, your outlook combining the deals that they made uh, on trade deadline day? I, I liked it um, from the Cavs' perspective on what they brought in. Rodney Hood and George Hill. I mean, George Hill had been talked about for the last couple of weeks is someone who could potentially be going to Cleveland. I like the fact that he's almost the perfect archetype of a point guard that you'd like to play next to LeBron, which is someone who can offense, you know, can run the pick and roll, 
um, spread the floor, the whole nine on the offensive end, but is also used to playing with a, another primary ball handler that may not be a point guard. So, you know, when I shared do it last year, he was mad. He was with Paul George the last couple of years, and now with LeBron, he's just as comfortable, you know, starting that weak side, being able to shoot the three, at which he's shooting forty-five percent from right now, which is kind of insane, insane, insane. But that—that that is the point guard that you'd like to have ideally next to um, LeBron James, and that's—that's that's something better than what they have with Isaiah Thomas, where the fit was needing the ball in his hand, needing to create his own shot more. That sort of thing, which was kind of a concern that was brought up when he first was traded to Cleveland. However, on the defensive end, he's also a sizable difference over time being 5'9", so being 16. And yes, you know, as you already touched on, in Sacramento, I don't think it's fair to judge how he's playing there because one, you know, nagging injury, and two, you know, disinterest on a team that's going nowhere. That kind of saps some of your energy out of him. And I'm sure that did for Hill. So being rejuvenated on a team with championship aspirations, I'm sure will bring him back to life in that sense but he is a very capable defender um he's not as great as people make him out to be either and rodney hood i i'm gl- i'm really happy they have him um he's shooting 39 percent from three six for eight six for nine and swing between the two and the three i think he'll be prep playing next and give over to caps in different lineups switchability wise you know um being able to spread the floor more. And on defense, yes, he's not a, a heavily touted one-on defender in that sense, but coming the Jazz, coming from Quinn Snyder, playing next to Rudy Gobert, he knows where to be. And and that is a couple points in the book already for a cast team to have plenty of players who didn't know what they were doing on the defensive end. So for those two players, I'm happy to have them. I like to wish they had sold a little higher on Crowder. He was on a great contract, making $7 million for the next couple of years. He was 27 years old, and there is a question who's going to stick Kevin Durant, man, based off the last two matchups, the it's because I have a lot more apprehension about that as far as how good he was actually doing. It was great to say, okay, we have someone who could, we could put on Kevin Durant, but was he doing that effective a job? You know, Christmas Day matchup, and Martin Luther King, Kevin Durant is, you know, and mind you, it's going to happen. But it wasn't like it was that much resistance. It was good to see, oh, Crowder banging in there, you know, trying to be a pest, trying to be annoying. But I think it's more. I think that was going to be a problem either way. It is because I feel that the primary defender for Durant is going to be Jeff Green just because they'll probably put Larry Nance in spots, but Katie's quickness, I think, will probably get over him. And then, you know, LeBron, like you said, not only is time not only does he have to put a lot more energy on the offensive end, but at this point, I'm not really certain if he can really, really stay in front of KD like that. And maybe that's just me, but I'm, I'm, um, I, I started to think about Oh, if we put LeBron on him, even if the offensive load for Cleveland was good, I don't know at this point in their careers if um, LeBron could be as effective on KD as maybe three, four years ago. You know what I mean? Where he was the actual legit defender. He would get his with just as much resistance as he would Jeff Green or anyone else on the Cavs. So that's my own point on that. But having these two in the backcourt, I think, changes everything for Cleveland. Not only do you have shooting on the floor, around LeBron, uber important for him. But if I was Cleveland, I mean, they already said that word already came out that George Hill is going to be starting tomorrow against Celtics for them. I would put Rodney Hood on. I don't think J.R. Smith's done anything great to couple of games here, but I don't think he's done anything to um, claim that starting shooting guard spot. Put Rodney Hood and you have some big size around LeBron. If you have, let's say, Tristan, Nance, Hood, Hill, James, you know, 
got some pretty good switchability, and you have some good shooting in the first top three, one through three. So that'd be me, but I'm really optimistic about this. Um, you know, it, it, we have to see what happens moving forward, how they all blend together, you know, same for George Hill, how they match up in the playoffs. But for me, this is nice, and I think although they did get more expensive, I think the Cavs are better suited if LeBron left, where they at least have a serviceable team. The roster we had already, I don't really know what, what would what would be said, but you do have Jordan Clarkson, you do have Rodney Hood, you do have Larry Nance, all 25, and then, yes, George Hill is 31, 32, but, and he's expensive, but he's only on there for another year at most. I think there's a team option under the third year, and you still have the number one draft pick. So it's like, the way the Cavs have it, it's, it's a much... Um, more pared-down version of and pop later. Leaves LeBron leaves. You you have a massive hole. There's no way to replace that. But at least you're not trying out the Cleveland equivalent of the 2011 Cavs. Yeah, that's true. It, it is better suited for a, a potential LeBron departure. And um, I, I agree. The, probably the most important aspect of this trade is, is just how long it takes them to get the chemistry down. Because, I mean, they made so many moves. They Basically, almost <laughs> half their roster is new players in the, in past, the, past the middle of the season. You know, everyone likes to talk about the All-Star break as the middle. Well, that's just not true. I mean, pe- most teams are going to have to play 55 or 60 games by then. So it's past the halfway point of the season. And they're integrating all of these new pieces and while most of them do fit you know you can't really just create a locker room chemistry you know just out of thin air you can't just snap your fingers and oh these players will get along perfectly and we're going to have the chemistry and the ability to get to the finals again so that's the most important thing to watch i I mean i think overall just an absolute insane day i mean as i mentioned what team projected for such success in terms of maybe a conference finals or finals appearance has overhauled their roster this much in one day and we haven't even mentioned Dwayne wade who they traded away for pretty much nothing um to give him let him go back to miami and there are reports now that you know Wade said he never had, his mind had never left Miami. Something about LeBron had caught him, you know, multiple times checking Heat box scores, blah blah blah. So, I think it was a nice sentimental move. I think there were reports that Ty Lue was planning to just cut back Wade's minutes now, especially with all these guys they brought into the backcourt. So it makes sense to give up Wade, let him go back to Miami. You don't really need him. LeBron and Wade's friendship seems to always work better when they're not on the same team. I think, you know, getting rid of Wade is, opens up more minutes for these guys. Maybe there was some reports about Wade also potentially being a locker room issue. Um, so, you know, they they really wanted to clean up the locker room, get younger, but still probably improve on this season in terms of players that can help right now but are still cheap for the future and, and, and kind of some more potential like Larry Nance Jr. So overall, I think the Cavs um, are better now and better suited for the future. But of course, so many things can change with this team in a couple of months if LeBron were to leave. But I think... That's enough Cavs talk, I think. We've already spent around 20 minutes talking about the Cavs because there are a lot of other wow. smaller moves that will impact some of these teams on the fringe, um, some contenders as well, but a lot of contenders didn't really make moves because of the buyout process, which, by the way, uh, Joe Johnson, breaking news, will sign with the Rockets um, Jeez, after, being bought out, after being bought out by the Kings. So that's a little small move we can talk about a little bit later. But let's get to some winners and losers from the trade deadline. Um, I'll start off with a winner on the positive note. I think the Phoenix Suns are a winner. And what they did is they bought low on Alfred Payton. They traded away a second-round pick for Payton. And while... I am admittedly not a huge Peyton fan. I think he has some potential to, you know, take it up another level. I think point guards always develop probably the slowest out of all the positions, and he's still pretty young. Uh, of course, he's been in the league, I think, for three years now. He has triple-double potential. He's never really gotten it defensively. Obviously, he can't shoot, and his hair seems to always bother him sometimes in his shots, which maybe someone will tell him <laughs> to get a haircut. Um, but I think buying low on him for a second-round pick 
you know, you get a look at him. He's going to be a restricted free agent, so we'll see what, what it takes to potentially bring him back. But if he doesn't play well um, for the remainder of the season, you can pretty much let him go or see if you can sign him for really cheap. If he does play well, you have restricted rights on him, so maybe you can keep him in in the backcourt in Phoenix alongside Devin Booker I think is very interesting even though I have concerns about it working because Devin Booker has the ball in his hands a lot and if you start a lineup with Peyton and Booker and TJ Warren and you know maybe Dragon Bender in a traditional center there's really shooting only at two positions in terms of Booker and Bender so that's also a concern but I think getting a look at Peyton for the remainder of the season seeing what he's got a young point guard who can fit somehow in this team for a second round pick buying low on him I think makes the Suns a winner and I think for the Magic they didn't want to pay him they saw him as they really saw him as no part uh, of their future and they figured hey let's get the second round pick you know we could try and maybe hit something with that second round pick um, and, you know, Peyton's not going to be here anyways. Might as well get something for him, which other teams, like we'll get to in a, in a minute, you know, cough, cough, Grizzlies, um, did not try and get anything for players that potentially might might leave or are not part of the future plan. So I think the Suns are, are winners in a, in a slight sense for buying low on Alfred Payton. Um, who do you, what do you think about that Suns deal? And then you can move on to a potential winner or loser that you have on your own list. I, I, I think the Suns had one of the worst point guard rotations in the league, if not the worst. I can't even think of a worst point guard situation that comes to mind. So having Alfred Payton, who, yes, while not a good shooter, and yes, I would like at a haircut, I do think that he is at least, he's only 23. And that pushed, he's closer to um, Devin Booker's age of 21 than anyone else, and there's more of a potential to grow with him. Pretty much a still, you can see the Orlando Magic um, management who came in, Obviously, weren't a fan of Peyton from the beginning, and you know they hadn't drafted him, so even less of ties. We're just willing to give him up, and so as you said, just having that, I'm kind of fit sense that you know he's going to be off ball a little bit with with Devin Booker kind of commanding more of of the ball. But he has been shooting better from three at least the last couple of weeks, from what I've seen on that end. But he seemed to at least be more confident shooting, and so I feel you know if he learns to um more more rest, more opportunity on a different team and maybe playing along one of the better young shooting guards in the NBA, you know, they get a chemistry going. I think it'll work out okay. And with Devin Booker, it's easier for him because he wants to command so much offensive responsibility as he is right now with someone who can actually handle the getting the ball in the basket, which Booker does better than most young 21-year-olds in the world, but especially in the NBA. So that is something I actually... Um, I looked and I was like, "Wow, it's a pretty nice, pretty nice move." That point guard situation—it was—it was not good. The last pretty good guard they had was Mike James, who they got rid of for no reason, in my opinion. Tyler Ulis was staying up the joint. Troy Daniels and Isaiah Kennedy three are more guards swinging more to the undersized two category than they are point guards. So. You know, you had Devin Booker playing that point guard role. And while he did okay, it's almost like playing Brandon Ingram. They're like, it's good to build up, you know, the, the ball handling, the reps. But they're, they're not going to be that type of player, at least in my eyes so far. But that was my thoughts on Phoenix. Um, A winner for me, you know, got to swing it back to L.A., I think the Lakers. Um, We made that trade. I, like I said, I liked Clarkson. I do that. I do think he was he was um a little overcharged, obviously. I, I mean, overcharged. I do think he was a little pricey. I mitigated that by saying, okay, he's 25. You know, he's still young. It's not like you're paying for 28-year-old for the next three years. So that's how I looked at it. But if we're going to be real, it, it was it was, it was was pretty expensive. And so by them selling, I'm getting 
Clarkson off of there, but also getting a pick in return. You know, they, they have that cap space. Even though they said in the team as far as pursuing max players, they have two paths they can do. They can renounce Julius Randle and wave Luau Dang, stretch the $36 million he's due, and that'll give enough cap space to sign a max free agent with the 10-plus LeBron, or one with um, the 7-9 to nine years experience like Paul George. Or they can hang on to Dang, try to re-sign Randle, and wait until 2019 where there'll be additional max talent on the market. And that will bring them to about $45 million in cap space, which is pretty good as far as short-term salary um, from teams in luxury tax or signing, you know, players in one-year contracts and keeping that moving. Also, bringing in Isaiah Thomas and Channing Frye, you know, I don't think, although Isaiah Thomas did say something to the effect of, oh, we're going to try to, it reminds me of Boston when I first got traded there where we had a young team and we tried to make that push to the playoffs. I'm not sure if he's trying to say the Lakers are going to push this playoffs because uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that one. But I do think you can have two Isaiah Thomas and Channing Frye, and they both can play. Isaiah Tom, Channing Frye will slide right into that big man rotation. Um, he doesn't need a lot of minutes, but with Brook Lopez and him, you have two good. Well, Brook Lopez had a pretty rough shooting. Um, you know, Channing Frye can stretch the floor, shoot the three, and you know you get a chance to play him and see. He's already talking about trying to see if he can showcase himself, maybe a fit to LA or someone else next year. Same with Isaiah Thomas, and you can bring him off the bench. Well, with remains to be seen, probably not, but he's a guard who. He's going to fit really well with this up-tempo style of play. He's really going to get himself to get the chance, to get the reps, to get the touches, and to get the shots. And that's going to be good to kind of see. And also, he wasn't still going to touch on it a little later as far as how he fit, or we already touched on as far, as far as how he fit in Cleveland. But maybe in L.A., being one of the older, more veteran voices in that locker room and kind of being more um, stable he's at. Yes, I'm just trying to hear. He can give these young Lakers a voice. You know, if one thing can't be said about Thomas, he speaks his mind. And, and sometimes he shouldn't, but, you know, it hasn't said anything like he's not been, aside from questioning uh, having love, dare he, he hasn't said anything that was, like, not true, you know what I mean? So I think having someone there who's kind of been there, who was top five MVP, and you have him with these lo- young, impressionable Lakers, and they get to see him, you know, and allow him to be the worst thing in the world, kind of overblown in Cleveland. That was just a mess to begin with. Isaiah Thomas didn't help it any, but I don't think he made any worse in that regard. But, um... I say the Lakers. You bring in these two players who can play. If they don't work out, or in like 30 games or so, and you clip that max cap space that you look like you couldn't do, and now you don't have to worry about Lou Aldang. You know he's has the best job in the world right now, getting paid to do nothing. It's <laughs> not. Oh, we have to move Dang like Bosgov to make cap space. You're gonna have that regardless. And so now, you know, you could bring that to Lou and go, Hey, listen, I'm gonna do a bio. We can work this out. But um, we have. Not our plans anymore. Um, that's my lengthy way of rooting for the Lakers here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. I, Lakers are winners here. They got the cap space. They got the first round pick, which a lot of people thought they would have to trade to get off of Clarkson's contract. They actually brought a first round pick in. Now, obviously, they had to give up Larry Nance. And depending on your view of Larry Nance, you can see you can decide if he's you know the same value as that Cavs potential first round pick. I think it's a very similar value. But I like that they got the first round pick and they get off the Clarkson contract and they have the ability to create the two max slots, attract stars. And have the cap space and flexibility and, and get a guy like, I think Shannon Fry is a nice piece. He can provide some shooting as a big, also a very good locker room presence. So I think he's a nice piece of the locker room. Isaiah Thomas might not be, but again, you might as well take the expiring contract of him and see if he can provide some excitement for the team for the rest of the season at least. Um, moving to another winner, I have the Detroit Pistons as a winner. And they brought in Jameer Nelson and, and James Ennis. I think that both moves, while... 
Sure, they probably went under the radar. They weren't probably talked about on SportsCenter or anything like that. But those are moves that fill holes that were created by their trade for Blake Griffin. So you got Nelson, an experienced point guard who has experience with Stan Van Gundy. And he's a good shooter, which is what the, the Pistons need, especially with Reggie Jackson out. Ish Smith cannot really shoot. So having Nelson there to hold up for – Nelson and Smith to hold up until Reggie Jackson comes back for a play, potential playoff run is, is pretty big in my opinion. And then getting James Ennis, he's a solid wing. Um, he's he's a kind of a 3 and D. You know, you, you don't really always get the, the 3 and you don't always get the D, but there are spots and potential <laughs> times where you get both of them. And I think getting him, again, they were sorely lacking wings, dependable wings. They had guys like Stanley Johnson, Luke Kennard, um, Reggie Bullock, etc. You know, those guys aren't as reliable as Ennis, and I think that they didn't really give up much of anything in both of these deals to get these experienced players that fill holes created by their trade for Blake Griffin. So I think that, you know, while other teams, you know, on the fringe Eastern Conference, you know, Sixers and Pacers, etc., didn't make moves, they watched the Pistons get better for pretty much nothing in, in terms of, you know, what they had to trade away. So I think that, you know, they're going all in on making the playoffs. They only had to give up, you know, a second-round pick, um, Willie Reed, etc., to get these two players that fit in, and you know, I don't know how much time they're going to play, but they should get decent minutes over the next couple of weeks as the Pistons try and make a run for the playoffs. So I think I have the Pistons as um, uh, not a huge winner, but a winner nonetheless in terms, of especially in the Eastern Conference. And then another winner or winners I want to talk about is this Nuggets trade with the Mavericks and Knicks. I think that all teams, you know, it's very strange where you have a three-team deal where you kind of feel good about it from all three teams' perspective, but I think for the Nuggets, I really like Devin Harris as a, a solidifying presence on the second unit as a point guard. I know they kind of sold really, really low on, on Emmanuel Mudiay, who's still young. They basically traded Mudiay away, and they got Harris back. Um, but right now, as it stands, Mudiay has been really bad so far for the Nuggets, both this season and in his career so far, and he's holding the team back. He basically fell out of the rotation earlier in the season. The Nuggets are get killed whenever they play Mudiay at backup point guard. They really don't have that presence at point guard to make up for when Jamal Murray or Jokic, etc. are off the floor, and I think Devin Harris can step in and fill that role. Good, great veteran presence in the locker room. All the Mavericks said all the right things about him when he was traded away. Harris is a good cutter, which is exactly what you want playing through Nikola Jokic. Um, you get capable shooter, capable ball handler, good veteran presence. So, you know, they sold low on Moody but I like Evan Harris for them. And then looking at for the other team's perspectives, the Knicks got Moody who... Again, he's been bad, but he's just 21, and as I mentioned before, point guards can develop at a slower rate than other positions, so getting a look at a young point guard um, is, is not a bad thing for the Knicks, and I'm interested to see how it affects Frank Nielakina's playing time, because they still have Jarrett Jack on the roster, and a lot of people are basically saying, hey, just buy out Jack or release him, play your young guards, you're not making the playoffs, give them all the experience they can get, which of course, of course it's the Knicks that are messing up development of young players, but that's not a surprise, but getting Moody, I know the young player next to Nielakina... Should be interesting to get a look at him. I don't think McDermott was in their plans moving forward, so it makes sense to just get a look at Moody Eye. And then for the Mavericks, they get a look at Doug McDermott, who's hitting about 39% of his three-pointers, and the Mavericks get a second-round pick for giving away Devin Harris. So, you know, I like that McDermott can provide some shooting for them. Maybe they can re-sign him for cheap, um, and they get that second-round pick, which, again, if you draft well, you can make something out of a second-round pick. You know, a lot of they, they obviously have low value for a lot of teams, but if you have good drafting, you can make something out, out of that second-round pick. So I think that for all teams, it works out, and I think all teams are slight winners in their own sense, which is exact, very rare when you get a three-team deal. Um, but I'm interested to get your take on this three-team deal between the Mavericks, Knicks, and Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, for the Knicks, I, I was interested only because, like you mentioned, Moody and Moody has been having a rough, rough season, and 
guard in Frank Nilakina, who, what are you going to do with him? You know, are they going to share the backcourt? You know, at this point in time, the only loser for the Knicks would be Jared Jack, but how, how's that going to work? I mean, it's coming with the, you know, are you trying to stop players, which, like you said, knowing the Knicks will never develop, so what, what's the plan there? But um, for Denver, I like that because, as you said, get, getting ready for a playoff push, you have a 34-year-old who veteran guard, still capable of playing at a, at a pretty decent level. And, you know, come off the bench, I think he's a better version of what Jameer Nelson provided for the last two years. In the sense that, you know, he's not going to pine for minutes that way, but he playing under Dallas, he's very good one or the two. And he's going to help this Nuggets team in the stretch run along with Richard Jefferson as far as uh, that veteran leadership and experience. And it was really like, I don't know if you read that quote um, by Richard on um, Devin Harris. That, that was a lot of sarcasm. I've, show, though. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I loved it. I was saying, but having those two, you know, you, ha- you have Richard Jefferson who's a veteran, but at this point in time, maybe not the, the getting out there and leading on the floor. He kind of leads from the locker room, leads from the bench. Now with Devin Harris, who is a very good backcourt player as far in his own right, coming off the bench and helping with Garrison and um, my goodness, for getting Jamal Murray and these other young guards. And then you already have Paul Millsap coming back. I see this rounding out as a pretty good all-around top eight for the Nuggets. I'm not really a part of the plans moving forward and was kind of having a down season in the iffy rotation, I think was good. Like I said, I'm really just more concerned about the Knicks. I don't understand. You, you had a young guard who I thought should have been ready because – you know, I don't. You said Porzingis, you know, wanted to make a push for the playoffs. Okay, is Jared Jack that guy? I wasn't. I didn't see it. So I figured you'd have Nilakina starting already, just finishing out the season that way. Hey, okay. see them really being able to side to the two. They're not going to be able to share the backcourt. So in my eyes, who starts? Who comes off? You know what I mean? That's something I've been thinking about. I don't know what you thought about that, but uh, I like it for Denver. I don't like it for New York. And Dallas getting Doug is to use him, probably make him a point forward Chandler Parson hybrid in a year and a half. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in the funny thing about the Nuggets is that they had Jameer Nelson on the roster and they at the early in October and they straight up just released him in terms of because they wanted to sign Richard Jefferson uh, and and then they of course they go through the season <laughs> with a terrible hole at point guard that if Nelson was there probably wouldn't have been an issue and now they had to make the trade they had to so low on Mudiay to get Devin Harris who will hopefully fill the point guard situation for them so it, it's really an ironic um, ch- chain of events for the Nuggets that kind of circles back to their issue at point guard um, you know, for the Knicks, I, I share concerns. I, I I look at it from this. McDermott's not part of their plans. Might as well get a look at a young point guard who, you know, I still think there's like a 10% chance Moody does emerge as a capable rotation player. I think he can be – he has the defensive tools. He hasn't put it all together. He can't really shoot. He has a lot of athleticism. There are things that he has, uh, skills that he has that makes me think that there's still a very, very slight chance that he could break out. Eventually, Now, I don't think it'll happen in New York. I don't think it'll happen at all, really. I think he'll just settle in as a career kind of backup point guard. And you know what? If, you, if, if McDermott's not going to be in your plans, you might as well take a look at Moody Eye, who's younger um, and has more potential for upside. I think we know who McDermott is at this point. You know, maybe he could become more, you know, he could have bigger responsibility offensively. But other than that, I think you could kind of know who McDermott is. And he clearly wasn't part of the Knicks plan. So I, I don't love it for the Knicks, but I do. I do. And I think it's a, a fine look at a young point guard that, might as well get a look at a, a fly on him. And another thing for the Nuggets that 
that isn't really talked about that much is that Moody I was going to make around $4 million next season, and a team, the Nuggets are going to get expensive really fast. They have to sign Jokic to an extension. All these other guys are going to, you know, Wilson Chandler is going to pick up his player option for, I think, $11 million. Darrell Arthur has a player what? option. Darrell Arther has a player option for next season for, I think, $7 million. Of course, you know he's going to take that because he's barely even playing, really. So this team's going to get expensive really fast, and they really, and Devin Harrison is an expiring contract that can help them this season as they make a playoff push, but they can probably let him go, um, and they get off that $4 million for Moody I, which can help a team that, you know, Nuggets are not a team that want to pay the, the uh, luxury tax. You know, it's just not the market for them to do that. So getting off that contract while also getting a player who can help this season, I think, is their their real motivation. And for that reason, I, I like it for the Nuggets. But overall, for a three-team deal, you really get a, a deal that, you know, I like it for all teams. But for this one, in some sense or another, I like it for each team. Um, and, you know, a trade deadline, a team that I didn't like their trade deadline, which will do a nice transition to some losers here. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies. I, I, I mean, my thing is, how do you not sell Tyreek Evans? I mean, of course, the rumors were that they wanted a first-round pick, but then after the deadline happened, there were a lot of reports that teams were throwing two second-round picks. The Nuggets were throwing Moody Eye and a second-round pick for Tyreek Evans. How do you not sell Evans for either a younger player or you know two second-round picks? I mean, what's the point of keeping Evans? Because... He may help you win games this season, which you shouldn't be doing when you're trying to tank, especially with Conley out for the year and, and the disaster season that Memphis has had. Um, and then in terms of the offseason, you know, the Grizzlies don't have no, – no team has bird rights on Evans. He's on a one-year deal. So pretty much they can offer him, you know, their mid-level exception, but it's the same amount of money that any other team that has that um, – cap space and, and, and exception can sign him to. It's not like the Grizzlies have any advantage to signing Evans besides the fact that he has a house in Memphis and has, has lived there for a year. Other than that, if there's a team that's better suited to contend that can offer Evans the same amount of money, why would he stay in Memphis for a team that's definitely going to rebuild? So, you know, they don't have any advantage of keeping him, and he can help him wins game, win games this season, which they should be tanking. So I don't get how they don't sell Evans even for two second rounders or a young player and a second round pick. And there were other reports that the Grizzlies didn't even listen to Marcus Gasol trade offers, which again, dumbfounds me because... Sure, Gasol's like your franchise player, but it's time to transition. It's time to rebuild. Get some young assets for him while you can, because as he gets older, people are going to trade less for him. So I don't get how you don't sell Evans. I don't get how you don't even listen to Marcus Gasol offers, because maybe there's a team that loves Marcus Gasol and, and blows you away with the trade package, kind of like what the Pistons did for the Clippers with Blake Griffin. So for those reasons, the Grizzlies not shopping their guys or eventually trading them to help improve their tank, to make sense for to make more sense of a rebuild, Grizzlies are probably my biggest loser uh, from the trade deadline. Yeah, I, I said right there with you. It was ridiculous on both that and as as you mentioned, Tyreek and, and Gasol. Just, that I think stunned me even more so that um the Grizzlies refused to have discussed deals for him because that's not fundamental value. You know the you know he was the the the, the landmark or, or the cornerstone of the most successful ever in their history. Great, but he's thirty three. He's declined just greatly this year. He just had two years ago and oh he's only oh just under 50 million over the next two seasons so you're not even going to take calls like i said that that and evans why i get that you love nostalgia in the good old days and this now this first now there's clearly down here and it's only going to get worse and the deals that you may have had for 33 uh 33 year olds all this year they won't touch what you're going to get for 34 year old they may be a little more inclined to say hey Maybe this isn't working out. Just for a front office like that, I'm I'm kind of shocked. I really thought the transition would be better, but you heard me go on my tangent when they let go of Fisdale. Like, I still in 2013, 
pacing space there with the older center who is only going to be owed $50 million, and a point guard who's out for the rest of the year who has one of the more expensive contracts in the NBA. But another loser um, for me, I think guards. Um, and I kind of knew Lou Williams signed that three-year, $24 million contract, which wasn't bad considering you know how the, the, the market's going to be moving forward. But if, if Lou Williams, who is playing at all-star obviously one of the top candidates for six men of the year um just just playing really well if that's what he's getting what, what does that say for the Avery Bradley what does that say for a Marcus Smart or 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 younger young if Lou Williams making eight million and teams say hey this guy you know he's with this pedigree he's been playing this well and this is what he's getting what can we expect Will Barton to get like five million like as far as in it, it could be criminally low and those are going to be even more valuable when it comes to trading because they already have somebody to blow the contracts from the summer of 2016 so I say the losers I mean this just been traded in this trade we're going to be free agents because now the teams have a whole bunch of leverage as far as previous deals and what are going to do as far as that's concerned oh well or, um, here we are you know what I mean here's 5 million got me got that in a different situation and I also think the Thunder I don't think the Thunder are losers. Actually, I don't think um, – I would say Western Conference, the upper echelon, are, are winners. But the loser for me, Clippers, for anything. Because if you you could have went to the Rockets or – well, maybe not the Rockets. But let's say the Spurs. I know there was rumors that um, the Spurs were thinking about offering a first round the Thunder and at least got in an exchange of young players or picks, in my opinion, for Avery Bradley and say, hey, listen um, – when you guys face with the, um, OKC, when you guys face Golden State, would you like some pretty much give Steph Curry a hard time? Or, hey, um, San Antonio, you know if you reach the Rockets, you can play Avery Bradley on Chris Paul, and then all you got to really do is focus on James Harden. You know, thoughts of that sort. Where something, I doubt you resign him next year. If you do, that would be surprising. But um, I think you could have gotten something for, for it as well. And if that comes just with the Memphis Grizzly thing of getting something for and get nothing and they're likely to leave. So what does that what does that make you look like as a front office? That but that's my losers there. Yeah, I'm so uh, touching upon your kind of uh, guards heading for, into free agency aspect. It, it, it's going to be rough for them and I think that for the younger guards, maybe Marcus Smart, Will Barton, etc. um there will be more money for them because they're younger and have more upside and maybe teams that are on the fringe or rebuilding want to get the young players in there instead of Lou Williams who will be 31 um, and Lou obviously had some interesting things about getting a, signing that deal you know he wanted stability wanted to stay in LA um, mitigates the risk factor for him because he's going to be 31 which team would sign you know would there be more money for him maybe yeah he took around 8 million per year for the next you know two years with a team option on the third year which is a little bit surprising but maybe maybe a team that's bad throws 11 million at Lou, but he says, you know what, I'll take 8 million um, in LA. I can, you know, be stable in this in this city and team that I like. So there are other factors I think that made him sign that deal. But there was that report I think from Waj that uh, a lot of agents were upset with that deal because it it, it kind of hurts their chances of get, getting their players more money in the, in the offseason and it will be rough there's not a lot of teams that have money to begin with um, even for the big men like Clint Capella we'll see what kind of offer someone throws at him um, maybe the Suns or, or the or the Mavericks throw a big money offer at Capella or something like that but 
for other guards, Marcus Smart, Will Barton, etc., all these guards hitting for agency, it will be pretty rough. We're not going to see those deal. We're not going to see Alan Crabb deals anymore. No, gu- no guard, no fringe guard that's a good <laughs> shooter is going to make eighteen million anymore. We're not going to see those deals anymore. They'll the deals will come back um, much lower to kind of what people would expect, like you know maybe ten million per year, eight million per year, seven, you know nine, etc., depending on the player, the age, the fit, etc. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do agree that a lot of those guards will be losers. Um, in terms of West contenders, I do agree that, you know, I don't think the Thunder are losers. You know, that there's rumors that they're going to sign Tony Allen, um, which, of course, you'd probably have, rather have Avery Bradley. But, again, you'd probably have to give yeah. something up for Avery Bradley, like maybe a Terrence Ferguson. Who knows about that? what you'd have to give up for Avery Bradley. The Spurs, that rumor of them trading, trading Green and a first-round pick seemed ridiculous to me because that's way too much to give up for Avery Bradley. Um, but, you know, them not adding a piece, especially defensively, you know, they're obviously a great defense, but they could use another one in the playoffs, depending on we don't know what Kawhi's health is going to be. I had... You know, the Rockets weren't a loser because, as I reported earlier in the show, they are adding Joe Johnson. Last night, they signed um, Brandon Wright, the big man from the Grizzlies. So they added Brandon Wright and Joe Johnson without giving anything up. After adding Green and greeting in, adding Joe Green earlier in the season, if the team can stay healthy, they have a really, really deep rotation now. Now, obviously, in the playoffs, the rotation shortens up. But you add Joe Johnson, who is having a really bad year, and he's old, and we'll see if he can regain his form from last season. But... (laughs) In the playoffs, if you can't play Anderson, if Ryan Anderson isn't hitting, isn't hitting his shots, Joe Johnson's a very capable stretch four who can switch better defensively. So I like that signing. Brandon Wright, we'll see how that fits in because they have Nene and Clint Capello already, and maybe they'll release Tariq Black. But the Rockets adding those pieces from the buyout market, I think, makes them a winner in terms of this week, you know, because it didn't happen in the trade deadline, but it did happen, you know, after the, the days after it. So, you know, they, they got deeper without giving anything up, really. Um, other teams might have to compete with the Warriors now for top buyout players, though. Um, Marco Bellinelli has been bought out. You know, the Warriors need some bench help. That could be a spot for him. Bellinelli to the Warriors would be very nice for them. Other players could be bought out that the Warriors could look at as well because the Warriors do need some bench help. So I think that those some of those West contenders are slight losers. But again, if they use the buyout market correctly, they could be winners in the end. And then... One more team I want to talk about, the Washington Wizards. And, you know, they've been playing pretty well lately. They've lost two straight, but they had won five straight previously. But they really needed another piece, in my opinion, to be a threat beyond the first or potentially second round of the playoffs. You know, when they're healthy and they're locked in, the team could probably make the second round. Um, or if things break well for them, they could make even make the conference finals. But they need another They need another either bench piece or an upgrade at starter. You know, the Clippers didn't trade DeAndre Jordan. They signed Lou Williams. Those were two potential targets for the Wizards. There was a rumor that they offered two second-round picks for Tyreek Evans. I think the Grizzlies probably could have done that. Um, but they didn't get anyone. They traded away Sheldon Mack just to get rid of him, um, just to get rid of his contract. And now they're hoping that the team can stay healthy, the team can fix their locker room issues to make some kind of noise in the playoffs. But ultimately, I think that they should have. They needed another piece to really be considered a true threat when the Cavs obviously got better, the Celtics and Raptors are already better than the Wizards. Um... So, a Wizards, I have a slight losers as well. Um, and then my final loser, just to round it out, very slight are the Hornets because I like Willie Hernan Gomez in a vacuum, but I think the, the move for him was weird because they have Dwight Howard, um, Cody Zeller, Frank Kaminsky already playing big minutes at, at the big man spots. And they didn't, they didn't get any off off any of those salaries um, or get assets for Kemba. Obviously, Kemba was put on the trade block, and then Michael Jordan basically said, no, unless we get an all-star firm, we're not trading him. I think that they could have used this opportunity. They're not going to go anywhere. They should rebuild, and they could have used Kemba to get assets, or they could have used Kemba to get off the salaries because this team is really expensive for a team that's very, very mediocre. So for the Hornets, I have them as slight losers, and that rounds out my uh, winners and losers. I'm not sure if you have any other teams uh, that you have on your list that we missed. Um, no, you mentioned the Wizards. I would have thought moving Martian Gortat 
just getting younger, maybe possibly getting into the Andre talks. You know how deep, um, how deep those went if they were even there to begin with. But also after that was comments with John Wall and you thinking that there is at least some chemistry issue with the Washington Wizards. I felt, hey, cut off Gortat, try to get some younger, maybe make a play at DeAndre Jordan, you know, and then um, when John Wall gets back. You know, go roll with that. So the fact that they didn't make any moves, as you said, not only on your aspect of it, but also just the chemistry deal, I thought was surprising. Um, yeah, I mean, who didn't get Joe Johnson? I feel that Houston, that's an embarrassment of riches. You get another rim rolling big in Brandon Wright, which, I mean, you already had Clint Capella, so you're not, you don't lose nothing there. That gives the Nets even more time to get rest. Push him back. But when he comes in spots, he will be even more effective because he isn't playing that bad. And you get, like you said, another small ball four in, in Joe Johnson, who, again, could shoot the three, is effective. You know, I feel he was at injury in Utah. Also, I think that may have had more of a effect on his shooting moving, you know, moving forward. It, it did rebound, I think, close to seven, um, 35, 36%. I think last month he played with the Jazz, which is close to his career average so that was pretty good to see um it's gonna be crazy to see him get wide open looks in houston over and over again and to have that coming off the bench as well he can also be a secondary creator you have harden you have um chris paul and you get a couple of doses of iso joe a game if you want to put him out there so that that's crazy i think that um he would go with the number of teams but houston got him and that's gonna be interesting to see yeah other than that losers not really. I think we pretty much went into the whole whole bang on them. Some people think Cleveland be a loser based off what they got and all the questions, but I think I think they're winners. You know, you get younger and who knows? Peace would be a better fit for LeBron than what he was giving up. So, yeah, you pretty much have me wrapped up in my end, man. Well, I mean, another trade deadline has come and gone. Now we see what the fallout is in the buyout market. The Rockets have already made their moves, but there are other players that are going to hit the buyout market soon, and other contenders will be looking to add pieces for the playoff run. So again, we really, you know, in maybe a week or two from now, we'll be able to really evaluate these rosters down the stretch of the regular season as we kind of get to the, the, the stretch run. Obviously, next weekend, All-Star weekend should be very fun. After that, people teams hit the stretch run. They're managing their players' minutes. They're integrating players from the buyout market and or trades they're trying to stay healthy and then we hit the playoff runs i mean it's right around the corner almost really two months from now we'll be talking about previewing playoff series um matchups so again trade deadline is always one of the more interesting times of the year i mean you know in terms of interesting times of the nba season i think it goes kind of july 1st through 4th and then you know trade deadline is probably the second most interesting thing with all these moves so always great to analyze the trade deadline um we are back uh, as the podcast is, is finally back. So moving forward, we'll be doing more regular episodes. Um, so obviously, follow us on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Check out our website at 94feetreport.com. Again, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, just search the 94 Feet Report. We've got two of our episodes of The Swingmen, which is our um, weekly um uh, analysis episode on Fridays, you know, analysis tailored to NBA Twitter. It's in-depth, it's fun, it's interesting, great production from our guys at the 94 Feet Report. Um, so check all that out. Um, follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros, MBA. Um, Corbin, you can throw out where people can find your work and where they can follow you moving forward. All right, at Corbin Ford, MBA. Um, just excited to really get back on with this. And the swing man, as Eric said, man, I've been big fan of the last couple episodes it is, it is something else so definitely get on that but um other than that eric i'm that's that's all i got all right guys follow both of us on twitter follow the show um on twitter and follow our website check out our youtube channel and our website 94feetreport.com and we will be back sometimes sometime next week have a great week of watching nba basketball take care